Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who is striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little bit more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 17.2, the second episode in a series where we are discussing a major composer that eluded the first season of this podcast, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Mozart has composed some of the most recognized and popular themes in the world of classical music, and this is a series devoted to some of his most well-known piano works. Last week, we began talking about Mozart's 16th piano sonata, Sonata in C Major, K545. Sonatas are the equivalent of modern EPs. They contain a handful of movements, usually three or four, and a complete performance typically lasts about 20 to 30 minutes. The first movement that we talked about last week was the big hit track of the sonata. And while the next two may not be as instantly recognizable, they're still a part of this major work and are often learned by students of the piano. Today, we're gonna take a look at the second movement. If movement number one was the big hit single off the album, movement number two would be the more intimate ballad. But before we start jumping into the music, let's continue our brief overview of Mozart's life. After rising to fame and touring Europe nonstop throughout his childhood, Mozart ended up returning home to Salzburg, which is located in modern-day Austria, in the year 1773, when he was only 17 years old. He took a job with the court musician and began a productive period of composition. During the next four years, Mozart composed works in many genres, symphonies, sonatas, string quartets, serenades, and even a few operas. Remember the Kirschel catalog we talked about last week that compiled all of Mozart's works in a chronological order? Well, even though Mozart was only 17 to 21 years old during this period, we're already well within K200 during this time of Mozart's life. One of the most notable works during this era was his ninth piano concerto in E-flat major, K271. It also goes by the name Janam Concerto meaning young man, since it was a piece he wrote when he was only 21 years old, and some call it his first masterpiece. Mozart was starting to find success and yearned to find a new position outside of Salzburg as he felt he was being underpaid at 150 florins a year. Which Google tells me is the modern equivalent of a whopping $2,500 a year. So we can understand why Mozart was a little bit upset by this. So he quit, and he began a trans-European trip to find a new job. He visited Augsburg, Paris, Munich, and Mannheim, during the next several years, but could not find a suitable job offer anywhere. During this time, his mother unfortunately passed away, 
reportedly because there was a delay in calling for a doctor, because the Mozart family lacked funds. While Mozart was in Paris, he wrote his celebrated Paris Symphony, and his popular eighth piano sonata in A minor. While he was away, his father was determined to get his son back home in Salzburg, so he arranged him a position as court organist and concertmaster. A position that would triple his paltry salary at a whopping 450 florins a year, or $7,500. Still not very impressive. Mozart didn't really have any other options, so even though he wasn't thrilled about this new job offer, or returning home, he reluctantly agreed. Mozart's hesitance was justified, because little did he know, he was about to walk into a job with a toxic boss, Archbishop Coloredo. During this time in Austrian history, Holy Emperor Joseph II was about to assume the Austrian throne, and Coloredo was planning on attending the Ascension in Vienna. He decided to bring along his musical assistant, Mozart, but he made him dine with the servants. Mozart had a different objective in mind. This is a letter to his father. My main goal right now is to meet the emperor in some agreeable fashion. I'm absolutely determined he should get to know me. I would be so happy if I could whip through my opera for him and then play a fugue or two, for that's what he likes. And he succeeded. Mozart did end up playing for the new emperor, who offered him a part-time position at the Viennese court. Archbishop Colorado did not approve of Mozart performing anywhere outside of Salzburg, however, which started to raise tension between Mozart and his boss. The final straw came when the emperor invited Mozart to play at the salon of Countess Maria Wilhelm von Thun for half of Mozart's current annual salary, one night's work for half a year's pay. Finally, a good-paying job. Perhaps out of jealousy, or a test of his power, the archbishop tried to sabotage this opportunity, and Mozart had had enough. He resigned on the spot and writes about the archbishop's reaction in another letter to his father. He throws me out of the room and gives me a kick up the backside. Well, in plain language, this means that as far as I'm concerned, Salzburg no longer exists. His father pleaded with him to make amends with the archbishop and fight to get his job back, but Mozart stuck to his guns. And in what was probably the most important decision of his life, Mozart moved to Vienna, where he gained favor with the emperor and became known as the finest keyboard player in the Viennese court. Letters from Mozart's father predict the future he might have had, had he stayed in Salzburg under the thumb of the archbishop. His father continuously wrote of the decline in the court music, as the court musicians failed to be replaced after they had died, which left the court struggling and in shambles. Colorado sometimes played the violin in the court orchestra, but likely remained an angry, bitter old man until the day he died. I had a boss once who advised me to be generous with those who are in a position with less experience, 
Because unless you build capable people underneath you, you yourself will never rise. I'm reminded of those words with this story. Had Colorado nurtured Mozart's obvious talent and given him the opportunities that he deserved, Salzburg's court may have flourished, and Mozart might have stayed. Instead, Colorado is remembered by history not for his lifelong work, but for kicking Mozart in the arse. Then again, if he never pushed Mozart to leave Salzburg, we very well might not be talking about Mozart at all these days. His fame and legacy may have never reached the soaring heights it did without his career in Vienna. Sometimes we need that proverbial, or literal in this case, kick in the butt to push us to do great things. But let's get back to the task at hand. Mozart's 16th piano sonata in C major, movement number two. This is the second of three movements to this sonata, and is also the most tender of the three. It's kind of a palate cleanser between the two more upbeat, joyous numbers, providing an emotional depth that the other two lack. The form of this movement is not written in sonata form like in the first movement, but in rondo form. Rondo form is a more loose form than sonata form, and has several variations, but the general idea is that there is an alternating repetition of the first theme, which is denoted as A. The particular form that this rondo takes is A, B, A, C, A, so that A section repeats three times, with fresh content stuffed in between. No matter what happens musically, the A section will always return. It's not too far off from a typical modern pop song, which has a verse-chorus alternation with a possible third section that we call the bridge. In this case, the verse would be the A section, the chorus would be the B, and the bridge is C. Similar to rondos, pop music takes a variety of forms, but a classic organization would be A, B, A, B, C, B. Instead of the A section being the repetitive part, like in the rondo form, in a standard pop song, we typically want to hear the chorus, or the B section the most, because it's the catchiest part. While this is a sonata in C major, named for the first movement of the sonata, Mozart sets the home key of the second movement in C major's dominant key, G major. G major, the key of magnificent fantasy. Rustic, idyllic, poetic, Lyrical, calm and satisfied, tenderness and gratitude, friendship and faith. It's a gentle key full of peace. The movement opens with the A theme, which is the most important part of a rondo, as it will be repeated throughout. Each time we hear the A section, it will always be in the tonic key of G major. Notice that the first time we hear the theme to this rondo, there are rests in the right-hand melody, and I'll bring this up again in a little bit. The theme immediately repeats after this. This time, with 16th notes filling up the holes of those rests. It's almost the same thematic material, 
It's just busier this time around. Next, we move on to the B section. The B section is a similar sound to the A section, but it modulates to the dominant key. So if we started this movement out in G major, the dominant, or the fifth, would be G, A, B, C, D major. So this gives the piece a nice little lift. Let's compare the A section in the tonic key of G major to the B section in the dominant D major. The B section is very brief. Then as we can expect from a rondo, we return to the A section. And with the return of the A section comes a return of the tonic key of G major. Now the C section takes a dramatic sonic turn. Everything we've heard up to this point has been in a major key, but C swaps the mode of the piece from major to minor. So from G major, we move to G minor. In order to appreciate that difference in sound, let's hear that A theme one more time in G major. Back to back with the C section in G minor. The switch to the tonic minor provides a moment of pathos and an emotional peak to the entire sonata. But as we know, in rondo form, the return of A is imminent. And back to G major we go, with the theme we've grown to know and love. That completes our rondo form of A, B, A, C, A. So to close things out, Mozart adds in a coda. This gives the piece some finality with fresh material and closes things out where we started, in the tonic key of G major. Here is the second movement of Mozart's Sonata in C major, K454, also known as the Facile Sonata.
Hopefully those transitions between the A, B, and C sections are getting a little easier to pick out. Next week, we'll close out our discussion on the sonata with a third and final movement, which is a livelier rondo. Talk to you then. You can find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all the tracks heard on this podcast and more. Find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.